Okay, y'all, Bibles, electronic, you know, some of you that still use the ancient stuff, open them up, let's turn to John chapter 5, uh, just I'm going to confess to you, I think sometimes confession is good for the soul, and, and I need to, this particular passage, uh, I told the staff on Wednesday, I have, I did my dissertation on this topic, I'm just kind of like worn out on this topic, I teach on it all the time. And I thought, oh, man, uh, okay, once again, and uh, needed and needed God to hook me with it. And I guess that's kind of the, the topic about what we're talking about, and that is how we approach the Bible. And every single one of us come to the Bible and read the Bible a certain way. And this morning, you come to the Bible, and some of this morning come to the Bible doubting it. You can't shake that men wrote it. You can't shake the belief that myth might have infiltrated it. You can't shake the mayhem that seems to accompany it, follow it, wherever it goes. The Bible for you is uncertain. You doubt the Bible. And then there's others of us this morning that are over-certain about the Bible. The Bible makes you right. It makes you absolutely convinced and certain and convincing and superior. In fact, the Bible gives you control, and it gives you control on some very important areas of life, like the path to spiritual victory the path to spiritual holiness. You have the Bible, and it enables you. It gives you a sense of control on how to relate to God, a sense of control of His love, a sense of control of His blessing, a sense of control in sensing Him and feeling Him at work in your life. It also gives you very much control over the path of successful relationships in your life. If you're married, married. If you're single, being a single person. A friend, being a friend, romance, dating, kissing, dating, goodbye, uh, sex, which I don't like that book, just, just because I just said it. I didn't want you to go out and buy it. Some, sometimes that happens. Singleness, work relationships. Um, we see the Bible giving you a pathway to victory and control and success in all your relationships. There's also some of us that gives us a pathway for God's will in our life in this area and that area with some incredible specificity. I'm shocked at the amount of ability that we have to actually know God's will for economics and politics and music and art and education and the best farming practices and how to live a rural life and how to live an urban life and how to bake God's bread God's way. But oops, sorry, because carbs aren't good for you right now, so don't be eating any of that God's bread, right? You need to be on paleo or elio or what's the one? Keto, keto, right? And, and you even know God's will for other people. I mean, you get real specific. We even know that, oh, you're supposed to marry that person. You're not supposed to be married. You're going to be single your whole life. And I have, I know what pair of shocks you're supposed to wear this morning. Dr. Hanner tells a story about there was a seminary professor, no, a seminary president who was recruiting him to a seminary. 
And he turns to him and says, John, it is God's will. I know. God told me it's God's will for you to come on our faculty. And Dr. Hannah looked at him and says, do you think, so-and-so, that if such an important decision as that, he would have let me in on it? <laughs> the Bible for you is certain. The Bible for you gives you control of your life. And then some of us this morning are burned out on the Bible. Let's just face it. The Bible makes you anxious. You can't be enough and you can't do enough. The Bible exhausts you. Just opening the Bible gives you a panic attack. The Bible for you is dry duty. The Bible for you is burnout. You're burned out on the Bible. And there's others of us this morning, let's, let's just face it, we're just plain bored with the Bible. It's not an issue of doubt. It's not an issue of over-certainty. And it's not an issue of burnout. The Bible just doesn't do anything for us anymore. It lacks electricity. It lacks captivating power. It lacks personal activation. The Bible is personally inactive to us. We're bored with it. Did you know that how we read the Bible greatly shapes our experience of the Bible? In other words, how we read the Bible greatly shapes our doubts of the Bible. How we read the Bible greatly shapes our boredom with the Bible. How we read the Bible greatly shapes our over-certainty in handling the Bible. How we read the Bible greatly shapes our burnout on the Bible. And it gets even worse than that, but how we read the Bible actually impacts others. It shapes how others read the Bible. In other words, we pass our doubt on to our friends. Have you ever seen how doubt rifles through a crowd so quickly? You ever seen how a child can go to college, get filled with doubt, come back, spread it to the whole family, and it's picked up so easy? I get calls from parents about their children taking a class at a university, and all of a sudden there's all these doubts, and they're like, what's happening to my child? How we read the Bible greatly impacts how others read the Bible. We pass our over-certainty on to other people. We pass our over-certainty on to our unbelieving friends, and then they're no longer friends because we're a bunch of jerks. We lose them. We pass our burnout with the Bible into our Bible studies, into our small groups, into our communication and our teaching. Parents, we pass our boredom with the Bible onto our children. They yawn because we yawn when we open the Bible. Today we're going to look at how not to read the Bible for our sake, 
and for everybody around us. For our sake and for our friendships. For our sake and for our marriages. For our sake and for our families. For our sake and for these folks that live just around us. For our sake in East Waco. And for our sake, North, South, East, West Waco. For our sake and for everybody else. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Hear now the words of the Son of God in John 5, 36 to 47. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we confess that you are the strength of our heart. You are our portion forever. And we ask that you would allow the thunder and lightning of this passage to thunder and lightning in our life. So, would we experience you? Would we hear your voice, as the text says? Would we see your presence? Would you move and work and walk on the wonders of your word? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, how do you not read the Bible? Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Search here means thoughtful work. It means intelligent work. It means careful work. It means hard work, diligent work, continual work. It literally means to pour over something. It's a hyper, it's a hyper surveillance. It's a hypervigilance. It's a hyperattention to the scriptures. In other words, what's happening here is not neglecting your Bible. There's no neglect going on with the Bible here. What's going on with the Bible is absolute hyperattention to it. I traded out Bibles when we first got to Waco to start Redeemer. I was, I was tired of the Bible I had in seminary. I had written all over it. I'd used it so much. I knew where everything was, and it just needed, I needed a fresh start. We're coming to plan a new church, coming to do a new ministry. I needed a fresh start with a new Bible and a new place, with a new mission, with a new purpose. I wanted a new Bible, so I traded them out. Now, I remember meeting with someone for the first time as a new hotshot church planner. And I remember pulling out my new Bible, and I turned to John or Romans someplace, at least where pastors should frequent very often, right? 
And when I went to that passage to impress, because I'm a hotshot new church planner, the person I was talking to, trying to convince them to be a part of what God is doing here at the beginning of the church plant, to my horror, all the pages of the Bible were stuck together at that place. <laughs> and I had this awful thought, they probably think I don't read the Bible. Right? So I said with a little too much excitement, hey, this is a new Bible. This is one of those new, fancy, slick, shiny, sticky Bibles that they came out with. The pages of the religious leaders' Bibles do not stick together. They are worn out. Worn out. Dog-eared. Marked up. Written all over memorized, meditated on, studied, taught, communicated. This is why what Jesus is saying is so shocking, y'all. It's so shocking. We can read the Bible daily. Never miss a quiet time. Read one of those Bible plans in a year. Bible in six months. Bible in an hour. We can memorize the Bible. We can memorize verses. We can memorize sections. We can memorize whole books. Sometimes when folks visit from other churches, I love these conversations, so if you are, you can still have this conversation with me, but they'll come up and they want to talk about their pastor, which is great because I kind of hope that my folks do about me. And this person says, you know, my pastor, our pastor has memorized the whole book of Romans. To which I said, well, I've read it. <laughs> so we can memorize the Bible. We can study the Bible again and again. You can unleash all the biblical reference works. You got a cornice. You got, you, got, you got enough electronic software to cover everything in the scriptures. There are more Bibles. If you go to Christian book distributors or Amazon, just type in Bibles. There are more Bibles and translations than ever before on the planet. It's a plethora of Bibles out there, and we can study the Bibles again and again. We can lead Bible studies. We can preach and teach and communicate regularly the Scriptures. We can translate the Bible to every language on the planet, and we can evangelize the Bible and go places where angels fear to tread. We can do all of this and miss the meaning of the Bible. We can miss the whole point of the Bible. We can miss the subject of the Bible. We can miss the power and the life and the activity and the work and the movement and the energy and the person and the personal active presence of the Bible. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. How do you not read the Bible? By avoiding Jesus in the Bible, of course. If you want to read your Bible wrongly, 
avoid Jesus. Now, this is so devastating, right? It's like if you want to doubt the Bible, avoid Jesus in the Bible. If you want to be over certain about the Bible and be a jerk, avoid Jesus in the Bible. If you want to be burned out on the Bible, avoid Jesus in the Bible. If you want to be bored with the Bible, avoid Jesus in the Bible. How does this happen? I mean, how, how did we ever get to a point where we can avoid Jesus in the Bible? I mean, if you were to ask any kid and you were to say, hey, any youngster, any little person, what's the Bible about? They're going to say Jesus. But what happens to us? We grow up in the church and it becomes about anything and everything but Jesus. And we wonder why we're bored. And we wonder why we're burned out. And we wonder why we're a jerk. And we wonder why we doubt. Look at verse 39 again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them they have, you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Now look at verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So how do we do this? How do we avoid Jesus in the Bible? The first answer that Jesus gives is with a thinking problem. Jesus says, listen, we all have an understanding problem. We have a lack of clarity problem. He's saying to the religious leaders, he's saying to those that know the Bible, have hypervigilance over the Bible, hypercenturies over the Bible, surveillance, attention to the Bible. He's saying to them, think, brother, think. Think. Think clearly. Jesus wants us to think. Think, he says. Scripture in verse 39, do you see it? Look at, your, look at your text, verse 39. Scripture in verse 39 is plural. Scriptures. It's not singular. Scripture. John, this is so important. John, ten times in this gospel, mentions the Scripture. Singular. And when he does Scripture singular, he has a specific Old Testament reference he's pointing to. This is the only place he uses scriptures, plural. Think, Jesus says. The Bible is about me. The whole Bible bears witness to me. Bears witness is a, it's a court thing. It's a testimony thing. It's an eyewitness. It's not a lawyer. A lawyer comes up and argues a case, and that's the material goes by them. But a witness speaks of what they've seen, what they've heard. It doesn't pass by them to people. It goes through them to people. The Bible, Jesus says, the whole Bible bears witness the thunder lightning and the voice and the presence to me. Luther never got over that. Luther thought, if you have the Bible, you have God set loose on the world. If you have the Bible in a marriage, 
Jesus is released into that marriage. If you have Bible in the family and the Bible's open up, he can never get over the fact that in the Bible, God would show up. <coughs> he never got over the fact that the personal active presence of Jesus was released into lives, relationships, and the world wherever the Bible was. Wherever the Bible went, God went with all his thunder and lightning. The whole Bible, Jesus is saying, reveals me and releases me into the world. What happens here is not just a private thing. It's not just private between you and God right now with the scriptures. What happens when the scriptures are opened up what happens that Jesus is saying is they bear witness about me. What happens is God breaks in to the world cosmically, apocalyptically. God breaks into Waco right now. The whole Bible leads you to me, Jesus says. Why? So that you come to me. Verse 40. So that you come to me. So that you come to Jesus and his salvation on every page. The Bible is all about me, Jesus says. Jesus continues. Think, he says. He gives Moses as a specific example of what the scriptures are doing. Look at, look at 46 through 47. Notice it's not just a specific textual reference by Moses that's being referred to. In other words, remember we saw in John 3, remember that? We saw that Moses talked about the bronze serpent and Jesus comes in and says, that serpent points to me. So this is not just a specific text in Moses. Notice what he's saying. It's all of Moses' writings. Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, that's the first five books of the Bible. That's called the law. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is called the history of salvation, the beginning of the history of salvation. When David comes along, and he reads this first five book called the Torah of the Law. He reads it and he meditates on it. It impacts him so greatly that he produces the Psalms. The Psalms came out of the first five books of the Bible. These writings, Jesus says, Moses' writings reveal me. And don't miss the implication you can come to me in Moses' writings, but you don't. It's so important to say something really, really quick. Even though you and I might not know how that works, that doesn't mean it's not true. I can't tell you how many seminary professors told me, Jeff, you're a little Christocentric crazy. Okay, maybe, but just because you don't know how to do it doesn't mean it's not true. Oh, Jeff, that takes way too much work. Probably does, but just because you don't do the work doesn't mean that's how you're not supposed to preach it. Think, 
That's why four chapters earlier when Jesus is reaching the first people on the planet, if you remember what, if you remember what Philip says in Nathaniel, it's unbelievable. He says, we found him whom Moses in the law, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets, which means the whole Old Testament now, he's saying, we have just found the one whom Moses and the prophets, the whole Bible wrote about. And notice what he says, Jesus. Think. Think yourself clear, Jesus is saying. Get your understanding right, Jesus is saying. The whole Bible is about me. The whole Bible reveals me. The whole Bible releases my personal active presence into your life and to the world so that you can come to me on every page. You can experience me on every page. How do we avoid Jesus in the Bible? Well, with a thinking problem. But there's another answer. Look at verse 42. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Now, this is not love for God. This is the wonder of God's love for you. Okay, now drop down to 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? In other words, how can you believe when you receive human praise from one another? How can you believe when you receive human applause from one another? How can you believe when you are addicted to human approval? How can you believe when you receive human love and acceptance and affirmation and you need it? How can you believe and do not seek the glory, the praise, the affirmation, the love, the delight, the favor, the approval of God himself? How do we avoid Jesus in the Bible? Certainly with a thinking problem, but primarily with a heart problem. In other words, we have a glory problem. We have a praise problem. We have an approval problem. And this is what it means. People's praise, people's approval holds so much power over us, it can either make us feel alive or make us feel dead. Human approval is so powerful in our life, it can energize us, drive us, or lead us to despair when we don't have it. We're approval addicts. And what happens is our heart problem blocks our trust in Jesus and blinds us to Jesus in the scriptures. Let me prove it really quick. Blocks faith in Jesus. Look at verse 44. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? When we're so full of the approval of others, there's no room for the approval of God. But don't miss this. The way out is also mentioned here, isn't it? What's the way out? When the approval of God gets big, it drives out the approval of others. When we begin to experience the affirmation and the love of God, it drives, it displaces, it ends our addiction. Blinds us from seeing Jesus in the Bible, because look at verse 46. He says, because listen, if you believe Moses... You would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But you don't come to me, Moses, because you love the love and the acceptance and the approval and the affirmation. It controls you. It rules you. It enslaves you. It puts you in a prison. 
We call that today codependent relationships. Those are relationships where this, this, this idea that we're talking about reaches to such an extent we see it destructively in people's lives. It's in all of us, but we don't necessarily fully see its destruction. But when you see codependent relationships, we go, oh, yeah, that, there it is. There it is. Why does she stay with that dude? Why does, why does that person keep going back to that? How do you not read the Bible? Avoid Jesus in the Bible. Calvin says the scriptures should be read with the aim of finding Christ in them. Whoever turns aside from this object, even when he wears himself out in all his life and learning, will never reach the knowledge of truth. That's pretty powerful. How about Augustine? Read all the Old Testament, and if Christ be not understood therein, what can you find so insipid as silly in the scriptures? In other words, if Jesus is not in this passage, it's insipid and silly. It's just, what is it? I don't even know. And then he goes on to say, understand Christ in them, however, and what you read not only has taste, but it, abri- it inebriates you. In other words, he's saying when you read your Bible rightly, when you don't avoid Jesus in the Bible, it's like drinking really good wine. It intoxicates you. Here's how we're going to end. I want you to look at verse 42 again. You should be familiar with this, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Remember, this is not love for God. This is the wonder of God's love for you. Now, look what he says next. Look what Jesus says next in 43. So, but I know you don't have the love of God within you, but I have come in my Father's name. Now, this is incredible. This is fascinating because John, John knows what that name means. John summarizes the name. The name is the character of God. It's the attributes of God. It's who God is, what he's like. And John says, I'm going to tell you what that name is. In another book, later on, in 1 John, he tells you God, here's his name, God is love. I have come, Jesus says, in the name, in the love of God. I am the love of God come for you. (coughs) I'm the love you've been looking for. I'm the love you have longed for all your life. My approval, my affirmation justifies your existence. It ends your slavery to human approval. And it not only sets you free, it helps you read the Bible. So come to me. Come to the gracious love of God. I'm it. And come to me on every page.